Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to a special episode of Cork Talk. In this episode, we visit Plebe Urban Winery in Asheville, North Carolina for their first anniversary party. We had a conversation with founders, Lee, Lauren, Chris, and Tyler, as they talked to us about what makes Plebe a unique place in NC Wine. This episode was recorded live in front of an audience, so you may hear a little background noise. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, we're here at Plebe Urban Winery in Asheville, North Carolina for a live recording of Cork Talk with uh, the folks here. We're here in their tasting room, their tap room, on a Saturday afternoon, so we want to welcome Chris, Tyler, Lauren, and Lee. Welcome to Cork Talk. Thanks for having us. us. So let's just start down the line. Maybe we'll start with Chris, and you guys can introduce yourselves and tell us what your role is here and uh, what makes this a unique place to be. Okay. Uh, Chris Tanisha, um, one of the growers, head winemaker, and uh, yeah, just pretty much do everything here. Just like all of us, we all have to wear a lot of different hats, so put whatever title you want in there, really. <laughs> uh, I'm Tyler Kay. I'm the assistant winemaker and sommelier here. Uh, again, just help with everything. <laughs> I'm Lauren Turpin. I am the executive manager and I am the Excel guru and I do all office things. <laughs> Everyone needs an Excel guru. Yes. <laughs> I'm Lee Turpin. I'm married to Lauren. Uh, I run the front of the house. I choose the music. I clean the bathrooms. Whatever needs to be done. <laughs> so which one of those is the worst job? Being married to Lauren? Being <laughs> yes, the music is the worst? Okay. Uh, good answer. Good answer. Can't please everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys got started. So this is our first anniversary party. Um, we're here in the River Arts District in Asheville. Asheville is known to be a beer town. So why open a winery in a beer town? Well, uh, I first got here in 2014, not really thinking that uh, I was coming to a potential wine region, to be honest with you, just farming with my wife, uh, and fell into some wineries and some vineyards, thought there was a lot of potential, especially up at the high elevations, and uh, started really thinking that this area needed uh, a different look on some of our local grapes. And Asheville is one of those places that I mentally started prepping for a place that may be open to some of the, the more local, native, and hybrid varietals. And just started working on a business plan. Then a few years later, uh, we got linked up through Seth Cohen at App State's um, Fermentation Science Department and uh, started hanging around each other. and basically vetting each other before we started the business <laughs> and then uh, probably a good call yeah, yeah. and st- started the winery project yeah yep and um, I had written a business plan for a an urban winery and um, was inspired by Infinite Monkey Theorem in Denver Colorado and really the idea being that wine does not have to be um, pretentious um, and it can be you know, approachable and laid back and really have more of a brewery feel um, to our tap room and to our environment and just want to be able to have a community space where folks can can gather and enjoy the wine and enjoy each other and enjoy art and especially being in the River Arts District. 
Um, we're in a very unique spot in North, in, in Asheville. Um, and really, I think we are in the right spot, I think, as an art of wine, but also our collective um, building and the artists that we're surrounded by are very welcoming and opening to what we're doing. And it really allowed us, I think, to have a, a pretty successful first year. So talk a little bit about the River Arts District and kind of what, what is the vibe here? So the River Arts District um, sits on the river. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing. We are looking at it right now. <laughs> um, and it's it's a cute, you know, there, I think there's probably 500 artists or more and you know, multiple galleries, multiple um, styles of art, um, definitely different generations. And at, over the years, we have seen more restaurants, breweries, um, and other types of businesses come into the River Arts District. Um, the particular area that we are in is all old railroad um, buildings, um, which have been converted uh, since then into they were manufacturing or they were. Um, our particular building was a paneling world, which was a paneling building, <laughs> cabinets and such. And over time, as those folks have retired and moved on, um, some uh, investors in town have purchased a bunch of these buildings to um, revive and you know, revive this area. We have the Greenway, which is going to be coming in and connecting um, our, our area a little bit more to the rest of Asheville. Um, so there's just a lot of potential for where we are. And we're a part of uh, the foundation, which is kind of like a collective of not just artists, but uh, we're in the same group with Twelve Bones, Wedge Brewing, uh, the skate park, you know, uh, our kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> Level 42, glass Level blowing 42, studio. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So that probably brings a diverse uh, clientele in, and into the into the winery. Do, do a lot of folks, are they... Are they new to wine when they come in, or are they just looking to experiment? I think we get both. Um, I think a lot of our local, our local traffic, they are you know, they think they know a little bit more about us. Um, so when they come in, they, sure. they kind of know what they're getting. Um, but tourists, I think, are still trying to figure us out because um, they ride by our building and they see some cool, cool murals and they're like, ooh, what's that place? Let's go in. <laughs> um, but then they walk in and they're like, I just don't know what you are. Yeah, because we serve other things. But also, I, I think that, you know, we talk about how we are a winery first, um, but we also have other things available. And so when folks start to think about, I've walked into a winery they start to think that they've walked into a traditional winery experience. And what we're trying to help folks understand is that we want you to walk in and still have that mindset of a traditional winery in the sense that I want to know, I want folks to want to try what we've made um, versus we get a handful of folks who will walk in more like a wine bar and say, I want a Merlot. <laughs> like, well, I don't have, we didn't make one this year <laughs> or, or I don't have one. And so I think it's part of, you know, trying to help folks understand who we are and what we're about. Um, so I think we get both. And some folks will totally talk about wine for 45 minutes. Others are, oh, that smells good. I'll, that tastes good. I'll, I'll have a glass of that. And that's cool because you get a you get you, you get the best of both worlds there. So if you're a wine geek, you can come in and you can talk to the nth degree about all sorts of technical <laughs> aspects. Or if you like you we were talking about earlier when we were doing a little tour out in the back, and you just said, "Hey, this smells good. This tastes good. Okay, I'm going to have a glass of that." So that's that's what makes it approachable, I think. 
episode. I guess let's talk a little bit about the varieties. So you, you said we don't have a Merlot. So talk about the varieties that you do work with and, and why those are important. We generally we're open minded to honestly any varietal. Um, I tend to, based on my experience out here, lean a little bit uh, more towards French American hybrids and some native grapes. Um, just based on my experience, they tend to come in cleaner. They tend to be a little bit more at peak ripeness in a lot of ways. Uh, but we, we've, we're, st- we're bringing in vinifera, you know, like Capsov, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, you know, and that's definitely some of our like really popular wines. And um, one of the things that is really cool about working with that is a lot of people are afraid to try a Saval Blanc or they're afraid to try Vidal Blanc or Chambersen, you know, or Catawba. Uh, And sometimes we can get them in the door with the the Capsov or Chardonnay. And then when we pair it with a flight, a lot of times they they end up liking some of these grapes they've never heard of, you know? And so uh, it's part of the education that we're trying to provide. Um, Yeah. To your earlier question, I'd say a lot of people who come to the door are new to North Carolina wine. So we're, we're very excited about being able to talk about at least our little corner of it uh, with them when they come in. Yeah, we actually can grow grapes here and make some cool wines because, it, and it, yes, it might not be like the Chardonnay that you get at the grocery store, but it's still good wine. Yeah. yeah. It's important. So we usually save this question for later, but what's your favorite? <laughs> Um, you guys start down there. Uh, my favorite was the uh, Chamberson Cat Franc Coferment, which we sold out of about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that wine in particular, because um, we are experimenting with native yeast, native flora on the grapes. So um, one of the things that we do with some of our grapes that come in, if they are underripe, um, we generally turn a lot of them into rosés. Idea behind that is I don't want to over extract on something uh, or try to extract something from the skins or from a grape that I don't want. So a lot of our growers luckily that planted vinifera and some reds that have a hard time ripening every year mostly because of rains, rot, hurricanes which we have one coming down on us. It happens to us. So uh, most of our growers are cool with that. But that one in particular, we were able to hand select out uh, some Cab Franc uh, berries, hand distemmed, uh, and we uh, co-fermented those with the, that was a Chamberson, yeah. So uh, also hand distemmed uh, to be gentle. The reason we do that as well, um, I'm not a huge fan of our Crusher Distemmer or a lot of Crusher Distemmers. Um, with that same uh, attention to being gentle with the fruit. Uh, and our Cab Franc, we didn't crush it all. It actually cold berry, based almost kind of like a type of carbonic maceration, fermented exactly. inside the, the native yeast just got inside the, the berry and uh, fermented from within. And then, yeah, had less than one barrel of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Lee drank most of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Mark, what's your favorite? Um, the one we have on right now that is my favorite is the Cavsov Rosé Pet Nut. Um, so the sparkling that we did, um, we really like sparklings and hope to do a lot of pet nuts. Um, but that one right now is my favorite. It's um, kind of like watermelon Jolly Rancher is how we describe it, and um, kind of fluffy. Um, and it's just <laughs> fluffy. It's, 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 it's nice and chilly. Um, 
So on a hot day, it goes down pretty easy. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about what a pet net is? Because some folks may not know what that what that is. Sure. Um, so it is a uh, pestilent naturel, um, also known as method ancestral. So it predates uh, the champagne, method champenois, and it is basically uh, bottling while primary fermentation is still happening. So the CO2 d- dissolved in bottle carbonates the wine. Which also results in an unfiltered product, right. which is part of the reason why we like it. Um, as, as far as we know, we are the only people in the country, if not the world, doing that in a keg. Um, so we actually let it like set, and then the first, yeah, the first few pours uh, will get most of the sediment out, but there's still gonna be a little bit. So okay. it'll be a little bit hazy at the beginning, but as the keg goes, it clears more and more. So even throughout the same keg, if you have it twice, it's gonna taste differently, which for us is just really fun to do. And I would imagine that's the same if you bottle it too, because your bottles are gonna be potentially at different stages of fermentation. Absolutely. Absolutely. One might go quickly than others. It's kind of what one of the things that's fun about. Oh yeah, and a friend of ours who's making pet nat up in New York, she uh, she said if you if you're taking pet nat too seriously, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. All right, Tyler, uh, I think it's your turn to tell us yeah. your favorite. Uh, yeah. My favorite one uh, at the moment would have to be our Chamberson Rose. Uh, the grape is new to me from my background. I never really knew about it till I moved out here. And it's one of the 10 uh, Tenturier grapes, so it has red pulp. Um, so the anthocyanins in the skins go bleed into the pulp. Uh, and so we direct pressed it right off, and the rose is as dark as the red wine. <laughs> <laughs> so visually, it is, uh, it's already deceiving. <laughs> but uh, the Aramacs are really intoxicating, um, they're really diverse, and I think that grape is just absolutely killer and stunning out here. It's really fun to work with. Chamberson does really well in North Carolina, and it makes a great rosé, red wine. You can make a dessert wine from it. Yeah, very versatile. Yeah, very versatile. Always one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris. Yeah, my, my favorite, definitely all time, is uh, a Catawba rosé. I made a while back. Ended up harvesting in I think November fifteenth, um, and the pH was still like three two. Um, so you talk about a grape that can really Hang, yeah. Uh, but it is the origin place of Catawba is Fletcher, North Carolina, which is 11 miles from right here. Oh wow! And so it's kind of, and it's the mother or grandfather of a lot of our hybrids that that do so well. So, and it was super popular back in the day. And it was actually um, fast forwarding to the rosé fermented on the skins. Uh, it was the wine that I used to try and convince Tyler to move down here and say, like, hey, man, we can, we, we can actually look do some fun. Yeah, look what we can do. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super complex, and I don't know. He was saying a bunch of words I didn't understand. <laughs> uh, but I was like, man, this is cool. I can do it. I can dig it. <laughs> so I think we skipped over this a little bit, but how did you come up with the name? So the name Plebe is uh, specifically referencing the Aventine or Plebeian Triad of Rome. Uh, this was the uh, place of worship for the classes that were the farmers and the soldiers and the landowners and the grain importers and the winemakers. Um, these were the gods, uh, Ceres, Liber, and Libera, which were the gods of viticulture, horticultural, and fertility. So these were basically, um, it was the antithesis to the Capitoline Triad, which was the uh, patrician class's worship place. So this was kind of seen as you know, the yin to the yang of the upper class. 
Um, but based on our, our stated goal of trying to um, kind of make wine approachable and remind people that it is a local agricultural product that can be sustainable, it can you know, support your local farmers, and your local farmers can come in and drink it and actually enjoy it, not feel like they're being judged for trying it. Like that's exactly who we want to be. So we really took a lot of uh, inspiration from that. So let's talk about the logo then a little bit. That's a so that's precisely where the logo comes from. It's um, the the root and and the planting and then the growth and then winemaking. So yeah, it's the roots and then the second logo is the actual you know, foliar, the right. growth, and then the last one represents a cluster. So you see the barrels with the, the reikis. Very cool. Very good. Yes. Shout out to uh, Katie Rotan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shouts out, Katie. What a dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, local graphic designer who yeah. kind of took our ideas and came up kind of with the base inspiration. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, a little bit of, you know, having the winery in a beer town, some of the other challenges, but what are some of the challenges of, you know, running this business, both either from the, the front end of the house side or from the winemaking side? I will, yeah, I, I can start in the back. Um, a lot of this was, we, it was all theory, a lot, a lot of this, because especially what we're doing in particular is by working with local grapes and our vineyards span from... Uh, our vineyards in the Boone Deep Gap area down to Hendersonville and the Fletcher area. That's kind of like our wingspan of vineyards that we pull from. Uh, the, for instance, this week I have five different growers getting ready to harvest. Uh, and we do, we have a refrigerated truck on retainer this time of year, which really does help. Um, so Honestly, just the craziness. It's crazy everywhere you go, but a lot of the the, the travel, um, not being at, there's a lot of pros and cons, but a lot of the travel to go pick up grapes, even though it's only in, you know, anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours, but it's still, you know, um, when you have everyone trying to harvest at the same time, which is fairly typical here in North Carolina, because a lot of people, no matter what you're growing at a certain point, the hurricanes come, the rains come, and doesn't matter where you're at. You know, some of these vineyards, they know based on the rain, they're not going to be able to let it hang any longer. So there's like usually like a big boom, which uh, when I talk to people out west, it's, they have a long drawn out harvest, and a lot of times <laughs> we're bringing in I think close to 40 tons this year, and probably 25, 30 of it will be in within you know seven to ten days. So. Uh, and, and you see the staff. So we don't sleep much. We're all sitting uh, on the same sofa. That's where you'll be sleeping tonight. Yeah, right? yeah. We started, uh, we started building loft areas. So we're having a, a second location <laughs> um, for sleeping options. <laughs> and then when it's not harvest, maybe you can rent that out. Oh, yeah, Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to find good spots here in Nashville, I guess. Yeah. So what are some of the other challenges? So. talk about it from the front sure um so i would i would say you know just starting out and trying to you know there's the the administrative you know side of it that you sure. you know is, is a curve as well um so you're understanding their reporting needs and making sure that that's all in order and 
um, being in a beer town, I would say the, the marketing aspect of, you know, trying to convince a bunch of beer drinkers to come to a winery. Um, I think having beer on tap helps with that, but, um, just trying to let people know that we exist, that we're here and, because we are so different, um, I would say we don't have any real direct competitors, um, which is good and bad. Um, good because it means we stand out, but bad because there's no one to compare us to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the same with like, if you have a brewery next to a brewery next to a brewery, you know, they can all kind of draw the same crowd and it kind of sure. lifts and elevates all of them. Um, so we would love to see more people opening wineries and making wine and growing grapes think it would just elevate all of us um so right now i think that's a little bit of an uphill battle and uh the uh, legal requirements for wine are slightly different from beer and most of the support in this town are people that are used to dealing with beer so when we go to uh canning or talking to lawyers or things like that it's always kind of like oh oh i forgot you guys are different so that's always kind of a, <laughs> a slight change yeah. um and for the front of house kind of stuff it's primarily um as she alluded to earlier, people really don't know what to make of us. Um, we intentionally uh, brought in uh, some the same graffiti guys that did most of Foundy because we wanted people to walk in this place to immediately recognize that they're not walking into a standard vineyard. Um, the lack of grapes growing outside should be but when they get in it's, it's, it's always that kind of like how to like coax it out of them that you know this, you, this is a place for you to experiment to try something new to come back and try something new when something else is released later and when you get especially in large groups if you get that one person that either um, thinks all North Carolina wine is terrible or only wants to drink a, a Napa cab they kind of bring down the whole rest of the group with them. And it, it's always kind of a struggle to keep the rest of the group engaged and like sure. to bring them back up and let them know that it's okay to, you know, to have your own preferences and your favorites because we all have our favorites, but you know, while you're here, why not, you know, give something else a try. Yeah. Makes sense. So we've talked about a few of the varieties you work with. What are some of the others? So we talked, we mentioned Catawba, we mentioned Chamberson, we mentioned Cap Franc, I believe. Save all, I think you mentioned. Are there? There's a few others that you're you've been working with. Yeah, I think the first year we brought in sixteen. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, ten varieties. Ten different varieties. Um, most of them, again, uh, it's about half and half. Vinifera, um, European varietals, and between native and hybrids. Uh, but we also have Gruner Veltliner. Um, this year we're working with Lemberger and. What else? Vidal Blanc is a hitter. Cynthiana, Vidal Blanc's coming in as well. Chardonnay, we, we, we have two different sites that we source Chardonnay from, um, which is always fun. Pinot Gris, this year we got Pinot Gris, Tempranillo. Um, Traminette. Traminette, Traminette's still We got the Regents. So, what's working well? Uh, to be honest with you, it's across the board. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do here is kind of streamline some of the education. Um, I think, for the most part, whites that ripen early because of the, the growing conditions that we have. It's as my farmer side is very much embraced who we are, what we do, and our natural season and. 
I tend to steer away from planting stuff that requires it to hang for extended periods of time to reach any level of maturity, uh, especially kind of taking the approach. I mean, we've talked about this before, not against technology or additions or a lot of things, but the we're trying to find a baseline more than anything with our grapes and our wines. And we have so much variability in our sites. Because like I said, we're working with Western North Carolina for the most part, and it's our vineyards are 34 plus 100 foot elevation and we're also down here at 22 and 2,000 foot and there's pockets of microclimates across the board sure Watauga Yancey Madison uh, Buncombe Henderson like all these counties where we have grapes planted and are working with vineyards and it's hard to say that's part of the fun part for us um, is honestly embracing this frontier and, and saying we don't know we don't know yet and probably by the time I'm dying hopefully we can have <laughs> passed the torch of honesty and say like hey I, ha- I planted you know these five varietals and only one of them I think should honestly be here but it takes time it's not like other industries where um, you know immediately like a lot of this stuff it takes you 10, 12, 15, 20 years of beating your head against the wall to be like, man, I never get this right. I never, I never make a product that I think is worth a darn, and and boom, now you're 20 years down the road and you're crossing something off. And there's so many things in the growing process of it that you know. Okay, do I just change my trellising? Do I use the same varietal but on a different rootstock? Do I change the row orientation? There's so many variables, and uh, that's daunting to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people that get into wine. Uh, don't realize the amount of patience that I, is required in this. Um, so, so yeah, the whites generally are the early, the stuff showing well early, um, the stuff that's uh, white and ripe before the rains come. <laughs> so, how much how much influence do you have on the practices that are applied in the vineyard for those growers that you're working with? Uh, there's only one grower, I think that. We don't have much of an influence on the rest of them are either I direct consult for just kind of what spray program or heavily advise and then uh, the rest of them are we do everything you know it's it's up there once at least once a week for you know three four five days especially this time of year right um, so a lot of control and we're trying to be more sustainable um, with a lot of our vineyards and how we're growing because not only does it help us understand what does well like if you got to drench something in a crazy amount of chemical my first thought is maybe it shouldn't be there and uh, we need to hopefully embrace some of those ideas and, and and figure out what does well and go with that so let's talk a little bit more about sustainability how is that um, how important is that in your business model and where you want to go in the future um, the way that we do some of that in, uh, as Chris is saying, you know, starts in the vineyard. And then when we bring the grapes in, um, after we've, we've pressed and, and fermented, um, you know, we put directly into kegs. Um, and so we use stainless steel, um, half barrels, six, six barrel kegs. So every half barrel keg saves us uh, 78 bottles of glass labor, uh, labor, 
labels, labels, corks, screw caps, whatever you're using, uh, and labor um, and, <laughs> and storage. Um, and so we, uh, you know, we have 16. I'm sorry, we have 20 taps um, right now, and they're all hooked up to at least a, a six barrel keg. And kind of with that same thing, it's uh, it helps us as a business um, not. We're a startup business, you know. We're not. We're. We didn't come into this full transparency with a whole lot of money. So uh, those areas of using technology where we thought it was applicable, especially in a region that would be more receptive to drinking wine out of a can or out of a keg, helped us as a business be a business. You know, we we're not paying for all the glass, like Lauren said, the machines to bottle everything. Um, just all this ancillary stuff as well as like again the vineyards because there's a lot of vineyards here that don't have wineries they're just growing grapes to grow grapes right and that's and that's so we're kind of we found a need and we're trying to fulfill it and then uh, once we've gone through the process too all of our promise and stuff is reused either for um, doing collaborations or uh, going to Woodrow Wilson or something so instead of getting dumped and uh, helping clean the French broad we're actually <laughs> giving it to people that was going to be my next question. So, way to anticipate that. So, talk about some of the collaborations that you've done with others, breweries, wineries. Uh, so, our first collaboration was actually for our opening day with Burial, um, where we didn't have uh, any of the local product for them to use at the time. So, what we did was we took a wine to taste and uh, let them use their extensive library to uh, kind of come up with a, a flavor profile that would match our wine so that then we could uh, have a flight that had a beer and a wine on it for people to do comparative tasting with. Chaminet, whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Shouts out to Chaminet. <laughs> that was actually the first uh, first flight that we had here was last year at the grand opening oh, was perfect. that particular perfect. flight with the collaboration with Burial and it was it worked very well together as I recall so, so we've done that um, we've done a collaboration uh, with Eurisco Slide Life uh, we've done a collaboration with Archetype these were ones where they were primarily using our pumice and just doing whatever they uh, wanted sure. to do with uh, we have some collaborations in the works with Hillman that hopefully will be out uh, next year yeah next early next year um, and you know now that we're entering the growing growing season, we're basically just hitting everyone up to say, hey, do you want to do something? Because you know we are Australian, we are bitter drinkers, we love the collaborative spirit. A lot of these guys around here are interested in other forms of fermentation distillation. They want to experiment with things. They've they've tried all the stuff they want to they can think of in the beer world, and now they're you know expanding out into our world. Um, and then if these guys want to talk about uh, the vermouths. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Ed Ryan, shouts out to Chris and Brett. Shout out. Um, we're uh, <laughs> working on, um, again, and working with local distillery. Um, Ed Ryan is all based around local Western North Carolina botanicals for their all their spirits. And um, they're pretty sneezy. Yeah, they get down. And um, utilizing everything we can, we found a wine that um, there's something about it that we just trying to find an avenue for it to really bring other businesses together and bring them in to really showcase everyone's creativity and so um, those guys will um, distill the wine into brandy to spike the wine to get up to the correct ABV and then using local herbs and spices will make a Western North Carolina uh, vermouth um, which would wow. be very exciting very very exciting yes yeah. definitely 
no one else is doing that that we know of so that's that's really cool no yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't go tell them man <laughs> but one of the the cool things too that we've, we've really learned about uh, this area because it's a lot of beer uh, we've had the luxury of being around a lot of uh, creative minds sure. and some of these brewers we, we giggle constantly because uh, when I was up in the Boone area I worked with the Appalachian State students a lot and there's beer's popular the next popular thing in fermentation is usually distilling and uh, you know wine wasn't always the biggest one on there um, and I think that correlates a lot with perception as well as opportunities. Yeah. Um, I've been around some amazing people that have gone through that program as well as down here. And one of the big things is uh, just providing opportunities. And some of these brewers we, we, we've giggled about because they seem like they would be just as good, if not better, winemakers than anything. They just have that <laughs> mind. But because either they've only ever really been about beer, um, it's it's... I don't know. You see them kind of spark up, and, and that opened the door for uh, kind of part of the dream for this place for us is talking about collaborations, is uh, being like a facilitator of new and future creative minds. Um, the Just giving people the opportunity that don't always have it. They may have a good idea, um, but they don't have the resources. You know, it's, it's kind of like a take on a co op of a winery. Yeah. Um, but I've. I've done my research and visited some co-ops and there's a lot of uh, things that have steered me away from just going full co-op but uh, we have a few guest winemakers this year um, two of them actually are head winemakers at other places uh, one of them's a brewer so uh, kind of giving people the opportunity in a safe place without having to buy a winery or you know do X, Y, and Z they, they have an opportunity to come in try out a creative idea it's beneficial for not just them and maybe try your chops um and hopefully we can give some of these people eventually a platform to if they're not already winemakers and want to be to develop a name and get hired somewhere start their own thing uh really promote that and uh and for us it helps us bring in creative minds that are thinking about trying things that we're not maybe don't see the same avenue and and then kind of come in and have fun and Again, like I said, Asheville's a, a very open-minded place. So even if we have some biffs, you know, it's it's relatively safe in these small <laughs> amounts. You know, by the time it's like, oh yeah, I didn't really like that. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Chris, you talked about um, education earlier. So, talk to us about some of what you're doing to make people more aware and bring accessibility to you know about wine in general. Uh, out here, I'm a huge fan of working with the universities. Uh, so we do uh, not just uh, App State, uh, we work with AB Tech as well as NC State. Uh, we've hosted uh, with Virginia Tech and Georgia's come down. Uh, shout out Kane Hickey. <laughs> Mark Hoffman, uh, Sharan Hatch, all the guys. Uh, and there's a new guy up at uh, App State, Louie. Um, we're providing him with some grapes this year to see what he's going he's gonna to do up there. But... Um, that's really, I think, where a lot of this stuff starts. Oh, don't forget Surrey. Shout out Surrey. But um, <laughs> but uh, what we're trying to do directly with our community is have kind of an uncomfortable level for a lot of people of transparency in our winemaking and decisions because uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, a lot of times in especially iconic places, you don't hear winemakers be the sales people all the time uh, they tend to be a little bit more uh, 
honest, I want to say honest to a certain degree. Uh, you can be really critical of something. It can be great, but you know, it's the, the person marketing trying to sell that wine sometimes doesn't want to hear, I blent these two together because this one was flabby as hell and this one was too acidic. You know, like yeah, in a winemaker, yeah, yeah, you know, so the, the beautiful spin on that is, you know, like we found two wines that beautifully married together. And that's not a bad thing, but again, part of our education is trying to really pull back the, we did this because of X, Y, and Z, and that's this year. Next year, let's see if it happens again, or this, you know, uh, maybe slight alteration makes it better or worse, and uh, really interface and interact with the community, take those notes, and use our locals and and uh, their feedback to find our identity in the same way that uh, it's gonna about, bound to come up once. I got a cliche, you, know, you don't go to Champagne and ask for you know a big red caps off. <laughs> it's just, you know, we're, we're trying to work through and find you know, our varietals, our sites, and uh, take notes and uh, learn by others' example, but not mimic and and just try and recreate areas and wines that that I don't. It's not part of the fun, you know. It's 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 not authentic sometimes when, when you're going for that, in my opinion. And uh, and yeah, it's a neglecting kind of like a pioneer. We also participate in festivals, um, beer festivals, food festivals, Taste of Asheville, um, Chow Chow Festival coming up in September. I mean, we we try to participate in as many festivals in town as possible so that we have a number of folks who are exposed to to what we're doing and what we're about, because otherwise they're not even going to know about it. (laughs) And they won't know. And and really, that's what the, the fun part is, is when... Um, yes, we do have a wholesale component to what we do, uh, but when folks are able to sit down and talk to us and we can be really transparent about what we're doing and talk a lot about it, it's uh, those folks that really buy into your mission that then they take hold of that and they spread that as well. Um, so part of that is participating in all of these other events. And then we also host a monthly education series. We talked a little bit about the cans and your your kegs. So let's dive in a little bit more about the packaging. How how's, how do people get the wine that you're making? So currently in the tap room, we um, as we said earlier, do everything off keg, and we fill growlers to go. So we have half liter and liter growlers. Um, we do a reduced price growler night to encourage locals to come back and fill it up with something new. Um, we do hand bottle a very limited amount. Um, that's mostly for um, restaurants or breweries or other retailers that don't have the space for a keg um, or are not interested in our cans. Um, just kind of depends on their audience. And then we also, currently we have three cans. We have a sparkling white, a rosé, and a red. And at the end of September, um, early October, we'll be releasing five new ones. Um, so we believe strongly in what cans can offer in terms of flexibility. Um, it's also recyclable. Um, it's We use 375 milliliter, so they're two, two glasses, half bottle. Um, we also have a large outdoor community here um, where you can't take class. Um, and so cans are a perfect solution for that. Shout out outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Planet Earth. 
<laughs> if this were a TV show, we would have the credits at the end. Of the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so we do also, um, <laughs> in terms of wholesale, um, we do have some clients who prefer keg. We have some who prefer the bottle. We have some who prefer the cans. Um, I would say one of the, the nice things about being in a beer town is you have a lot of breweries that carry wine for those big groups that come in and all want sure. beer, but for the one person wants wine. So we get to pick up a lot of brewery clients <laughs> as their wine solution right. um, great. In, in the can. Um, it is my personal mission to be every brewery in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great mission. Uh, Lofty, because new ones keep opening. <laughs> <laughs> then you could start some sort of trail to find your wine. Right. Right? Oh, that'd be great. Bring in a thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Got a couple of those cans, man. You won't make it too far. <laughs> <laughs> That's, they really are misleading because it's a half a bottle of wine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, we, we've definitely had to advise people. like, And it's wine, so it's a little yeah. higher alcohol uh, than most Oh, beer. yeah. You're not pounding a 5% yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. patio pounder. Right. You know, it's, a, it's a 12% hitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 But, so, so looking back at your first year of business... What have you learned, and what's left the biggest impact that you? Well, he's probably what's learned that people in the bathroom are super messy. <laughs> That's <laughs> what going to be my He has to up his uh, one day a week to twice a week. <laughs> 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 uh, I think the the accept uh, how big uh, the acceptance has been. I think it's been something that's been really really awesome. Um, every time we're out, um, we try to be as social as we can be um, when it's not harvest season. And every time you meet someone new and you tell them that you're you're part of this and working here um, everyone's eyes really do light up and we're always like oh man I've heard great things I need to be there I need to go there and you just there's like a cool little buzz that is building and it's just fun to be a part of this town it is so creative and so open minded and so into everything that actual can produce people really are really excited yeah yeah I know I'm trying to think of what what was the question What's what's the what's something that you've learned this in this first year, and what's left the biz- biggest impact? Oh man, we well we ha- really have learned a lot, um, but some of the stuff like I always go to just the growing and um, the impact of that. I think if there's one thing that sticks with me, especially now, is I'm not as out on certain uh, varietals as I once was. Um, the biggest thing I've learned is our, our site variability here in the mountains, uh, microclimates, and just going, you know, a few hundred yards sometimes to a different site. It, something that may have worked over there won't work there and vice versa. Um, that's left a real mark for me to be, I don't want to say I was closed-minded because I never worked with French American hybrids or natives until I moved out here. Um but, but there's definitely so much variability. Uh, I've embraced definitely uh, more openness to everything. Like, this wild, wild west out here. At least that's what it feels like. So are you, are you working on a book to chronicle the, um, that journey? I mean, that would we, be we a have very notes. fascinating read. I mean, it, it really, <laughs> my book would look like a, you ever seen a... Stream of Consciousness, maybe? No, have you ever seen a, that movie? What's, what's, what's it called? <laughs> a Beautiful Mind? It's just, just paper scattered everywhere. Because I haven't fully adopted modern technology, uh, so I have random different colored sheets of paper everywhere. So it's all jotted down, but it just I might take a while. Just, uh, 
he's yeah. not adopted technology. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. You call him on your start phone call. I want to echo what, what Tyler said. Um, I think that for the first year, we were, this was an experiment, right? We, we were sure. like, okay, let's open. Let's see what's going to happen. And, um, you know, we didn't spend $50,000 on a marketing plan. You know, we, we didn't invest millions of dollars to do technology and bottling and everything else. And so it was this, you know, weird experiment, but um, one we were all very passionate about and the, the overwhelming positive reception, I think is what's now said, okay, now we can, now we can turn the corner and we can, we can continue to go for it because we know that it will be positively received. Yeah, I've learned that there is a very large wine community in Asheville that has been looking for something new and unique. They've traveled the state, they traveled to Virginia, they traveled to Georgia. Uh, they're excited about something like this. And, um, you know, even one of the beauties of having 16 wines on tap is, you know, yeah, they might not like them all, but they're going to find something they like. And when they hit that spark of like, okay, now I get it. Now I get what you guys are trying to do. And that gets them excited. That gets them telling their friends, taking pictures, letting other people know. Like the people really are um, excited for something like this once they f- see what we're doing and how passionate we are about it. Um, and it, it seems like you know a market that's just kind of been here for as long as we have, and no one's ever thought to try the experiment. So. Very cool. Yeah. So, what do you look m- most forward to in the future besides sleep? <laughs> yeah. But we look pretty rough at <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I look forward to honestly kind of the, the same things, but I look forward to more people growing. Uh, that That's, we have, we've already helped, I think, at least three or four new sites that have never even had a harvest yet. So we'll be a few years away, but the, the continuation of some areas that have one, maybe two, or none, no grapes planted so being able to work with some of these areas that plant just planted grapes I'm really looking forward to you know see what some of these other sites produce and I'll help with uh, piggybacking on that it helps preserve the land out here it is an unsaturated sure. market and so right. helping preserve the land out here with a vineyard yeah and you don't need a million dollars to do it exactly. contrary to popular belief yeah. <laughs> Um, I look forward to a lot more, um, I would say, traffic through our tap room, but also um, in wholesale and growing throughout not just Asheville, but throughout the state um, and getting more people to be interested to actually come to our tap room um, and have that experience. But if our wine is there and available to them in other cities in North Carolina, then, you know, let's continue to, to raise and elevate the conversation around North Carolina wine. I'm looking forward to uh, some of our long-term plans. Uh, I mean, we're, we're still uh, selling wine that's a year old. Uh, we've got stuff that won't be ready for a few years, uh, a true champagne program that won't be ready for a while, um, plans for future, um, you know, doing our own in-house fortification and that kind of thing. So, like, uh, you know, the sky's the limit on what we can do. Sure. We're still in that experimental phase, but there's a lot of really, really awesome things we can do in the long term that, you know, we just haven't gotten to yet. Excellent. So is there, is there, we usually kind of, as we wind up, we ask folks, what is it you would like to kn- folks to know when they come to visit? Or what would you like them to know about Puy? So 
We don't bite. <laughs> we don't what? Bite. Oh, I think we don't bite. No. Yeah, I was like, that's true, man. Not to the green one. Shout out to the green Shout out. I would say I just want more folks to be open to exploring the River Arts District in general. Um, that it's okay to veer away from downtown. We're only two miles away. Um, we're the dregs of Foundy, um, just in case anyone's looking for us. <laughs> uh, I guess my only thing is just like a, hopefully people embrace what we're doing if, and take it for what it is and just know we don't think we have it all figured out. We're This is part of the fun for us is that creative process and um, we're not really going for anything in particular we're trying to allow our region and our vineyards and our varietals and the flora to just be expressive and embrace that so it's not really like when you come in and you see maybe a a wine or a varietal that you're familiar with just know like it's we didn't harvest that and steer it in a direction like oh we're going for you know, a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc or, or this, we're, we're really taking for what it is. All right. Well, we, we want to thank you guys for having us here today. Uh, we really enjoy the conversation. We look forward to coming back. Yeah. Um, it's always great to come visit. So, of course, our only our second time here, but we hopefully we, we'll get back a little more often. Uh, we love what you guys are doing. Uh, it's great that you're doing something that's unique, different. You're not afraid to take chances. You're pushing varietals that work well. It might not be the ones that everyone knows, but that's okay. Yeah. And that's to be applauded. So, again, thank you for having us. And I guess that concludes this episode of Cork Talk. Yeah, right thank right. you. Thanks for that. Shout out NC Wine. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> Let's go drink some wine. <laughs>